So Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, one subtitle is, my title is, what's, what is the problem? I mean, what is the problem with humanity? A subtitle is, why do we need the gospel? And or, why do we do missions? Why do we bother to come into a nation where they have their own culture and their own religion? Why, why do we think that we need to bring new information, good news to them? Well, this is an energetic and fantastic little section of Scripture where Jesus gets to literally the heart of the problem. What is the problem? Jesus Christ will define the core of the problem today. Why do we need the gospel? Why did Jesus bother to come? Why did he make this huge cross-cultural trip to be our Savior? It's right here. It's in a a context uh, which he's been discussing with the Pharisees, uh, kind of the quick flow of things. We're at the height of popularity for Jesus. Everybody's excited about Jesus. He's been up in Galilee for quite a while. And one of the things he's been doing besides teaching is healing healing people. And were, he was healing lots and lots and lots of people. He, you know, he'd be like the healer who goes into the hospital and shuts it down. They have zero population after he left because they all got healed. Uh, it's huge. It's fantastic. And the Pharisees come in, and of course they're religious men, Pharisees and the scribes. In fact, they sent, sent a troop of these guys up from Jerusalem to check out Jesus What's he doing up there? What's all this hubbub we hear about? And of course, being good religious men, after they heard all his teaching and all, that he's healing lots of people, they came to him and said, man, we're just so excited about what you're doing. You know, We think it's fantastic. We support you. You're doing so many good things. No, no, no. That's not, that, you, you, might, you might, in your wildest imagination, think that could have happened, but no. They completely missed the blessing, and they come and gripe and complain to Jesus that his disciples are breaking some of the uh, traditions of men. The Pharisees and the scribes had developed these very strict traditions. And the disciples were hungry. Part of the text actually says they didn't have time to eat. Uh, They were so busy. It's the height of popularity of Jesus. And so they weren't taking time to eat. They were literally walking through the field, grabbing some grains, crunching it up, popping them in their mouth, chewing it up. And the Pharisees said, Ah, look, we've got this against you. Your, your disciples are breaking the tradition of the elders because we have a very specific way of religiously purifying yourself before you eat. And they're defiling themselves because... They're breaking, and it's very strong, the tradition of men, the tradition of men. And so Jesus says, well, that's the whole problem. You aren't following actually the commands of God. You're following the traditions of men. And again, in a nutshell, that's where we are. So the the paragraph we look at today is titled in my Bible, What Defiles a Person? You know, what really is the problem? Is it If you break some cultural norms about uh, how you religiously wash your hands before you eat, is that really a problem? So verse, let me read the text straight through. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again 
and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Uh, so, by the way, they're calling verse 15 a parable. It's a little unusual, very short, doesn't seem like quite a parable to us, but that's what they're referring to. Verse 18. And he said to them, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. It's a digestive parable. It's, he's saying whatever you eat just goes right through your digestive system and is expelled. And that word expelled, is they, they, it, it happens in the privy. It's the private place where you sit down, uh, is the Greek word there. And then there's a little parenthesis here. Remember, Mark is, you can't, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but he's, he's, Mark wasn't a disciple. Remember, he was not a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he came in the scene later on, but there was a disciple that he knew really well. Who's that disciple? Peter. He worked closely with Peter, okay? And Peter has a relationship with this phrase, thus he declared all foods clean which uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes I'll quickly tell you about that if you haven't remembered that event. Verse 20, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Now it's possible he's listing 13 evil sins or perhaps 12. Evil thoughts could be the category uh, it really means, uh, it, the word is dialogos, like dialogues that are evil, evil dialogues. In our heart, in our mind, we're thinking evil thoughts. And here's, here's some of those evil thoughts, the next 12 things. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Okay, let me pause for prayer. In your kindness, O oh Lord, would you be gracious enough to speak to our hearts? This passage says our hearts are unruly and packed with evil stuff. So we need your spirit to give us a new heart, really, to take out this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Convict us and open our hearts even in the next few minutes that we have together today. We pray for a great move of your spirit in us through Jesus. Amen. All right. I want to, again, sort of go through this um, quickly, summarizing what this passage says for us today. First of all, I just want to point out verse 14 where he says, Hear me, all of you, and understand. You hear that little uh, heftiness I put in my voice there? Hear me, all of you, and understand. 
That's legitimate because these are imperatives. These are commands. Jesus is taking authority here. He's taking huge authority in this passage of Scripture. And he asks us to hear. He's done this before in this passage and in the previous passage. He who has ears, let him hear what I am saying. It's important to listen to this. And now he says it again. Listen to this. This is really important. And it is. This is actually such a key issue on understanding the problem with everything, with humanity, with sociology, with psychology, with everything. What, you know, when you listen to the news, this bad thing, this bad thing, this bad thing. This passage actually interprets it all. And this passage is uniquely Christian. And so it's important. Hear me, all of you, and understand. And then there's this one brief statement, and the rest of the passage is about that. There's nothing outside of a person. He's saying all those human traditions about how you do this ceremony on how to wash your hands, that's not going to defile you if you drop that. That's outside the person. Uh, by going into him, it, it can't defile him. But it's the things that come out of a person. The problem is inside of us. That's what defiles us. Jesus, as I said, is taking authority. And in Mark, uh, we had earlier, even the winds and sea obey him. Here he's saying, I want to tell you what's wrong with you. He's kind of saying, this is why I'm here. This is why you need a Savior. Listen to me. This is huge. This is important. But this is momentous and large. Hear me. How do we get to defilement? First of all, he's attacking common sense. Common sense would say that the, the problem with hum humanity is external to us. In fact, I heard a little blip about Frankenstein, the book and the movie, etc. Frankenstein is created and he's, he's pure when he's created. There's nothing wrong with him. But the society, the way they respond to Frankenstein, he becomes a monster in response to his environment. Well, there's a theme there because that's what most people think about humans in general, like me specifically, or you specifically, that your, your problem is external. In, in, what, in the core of you, you're a good person. Jesus has a different view, right? But common sense is, in the core of you, you're a good person. And, and a corollary to this is that the problem can be fixed with a minor repair. All you need to do is just work a little harder, be, be a little better. Honestly, this is the appeal of false religions. They come and say, you know, if you just do these five things, you're going to be right with God. Just, and, and you can measure them. They're external, like pray five times a day, say this word, uh, go to a place once in your lifetime. Am I describing Islam? Perhaps. Um, or let's describe aberrations of Christianity by the same token. How do you get right with God? Well, you, 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 when you're a baby, hopefully somebody puts water on you, and then... Later on, you, you take your first communion, and, 
And if you do these things and you bow at this certain time and all of these things, then you're right with God and we can measure those things, you know? It's so measurable. Common sense says the problem can be fixed with a minor repair. And all religions outside of true faith claim to solve the problem of humanity. Religion basically, and I'm quoting other people, is a therapeutic, moralistic deism. Uh, you can look at that. It's very interesting. Uh, other authors have come up with that. And it's the idea that basically most religion and even a big section of Christianity is not biblical Christianity, but it's, it's therapeutic. You go to feel better. It's moralistic. They come and say, you know, just do these good things and you'll be good. Our main religion is be nice. If you just be nice, and if you're just kind and polite, then you're going to be good. And deism, uh, it's called deism because they, they don't believe in a God who is involved with everything in life, who's the sovereign Lord of all. The deistic God, you know, wound the clock and stepped back to watch how it all would happen. He, he's not involved. He's not the God of the Bible. And, and so religion is sort of be nice, be kind, and you're going to be okay. And even Judaism at this point in history had degenerated to a good works program. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees were all about. Hey, if you just do these good works, we can measure, we can watch how you will wash. Oh, you're right with God. You know, you wear the right clothes, you go to synagogue on Saturday, and, and you're, you're following all of these rules, and you're right with God. A part of this is, this common sense is, there's a natural resistance to accepting the reality of our problem. There's a natural resistance to accepting the reality of our fallenness. We want to dumb it down. We want to not make it seem so bad. I, I like to do uh, work uh, with wood and carpentry and, and sometimes restoring things. And We have a cabin up in the Santa Cruz Mountains and the person who built it extended the deck out and the framing for the deck was Douglas fir. And it, it rains about you know 75 inches <laughs> where this cabin is every year. And it lasted pretty long for all that. It's probably 15, 20 years old. But by now, the beams are completely rotten. The top boards, they're redwood. They're okay. But what's holding them up are completely rotten. There's no way I can do a minor fix on this. And one of them is a 4 by 12. That's a, that's a big piece of wood. But it's rotten. It's rotten to the core. The heart of this wood is in desperate need of repair, replacement, right? I, I, I can't just pack something up there to fix it. I have to get rid of it. I have to cut it out. I have to exchange it. And, and there's a natural resistance. Oh, it's not that bad, you know. No, it is bad. I, 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 I don't say I like this illustration, but it's, I think it's, it hits home. If you go to a doctor, and let's say that the doctor in the course of the evaluation discovers you have you have cancer. Well, let's just say it. it's a cancer that can be treated well. Uh, but, but this doctor wants to be kind and nice and not tell you the truth. 
and says, you're going to be fine. You'll take these pills. You'll feel better. No, you, you want the doctor to say, listen, you're really, really sick. And we, by God's grace, you'd like the doctor to say that too, have developed therapies that can, that can attack this cancer, and you have like 85% chance of survival. We can hit this thing, and, and we'll, we'll win, we'll win. <clears throat> the last thing you want is the doctor to say, oh, it's not that bad, right? Well, that's what a lot of religions are saying about our situation. Well, you know what? It's really not that bad. But in this passage, Jesus says, it's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. We need a supernatural Savior. The implication here of Christ's teaching, by the way, is it shows his authority. It shows that uh, all foods are clean. It's, by the way, common sense is, no, the common sense will lead you astray here. Uh, I mentioned Peter, uh, and the, he has a direct interest in thus Verse C, verse uh, 19. Thus he declared. That's power and authority. Jesus is actually changing the Mosaic law here, the word of God, not even just the tradition of men, but he's changing the actual Mosaic law that in the new covenant where we live now, we aren't required to follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament. They're set aside. And this is the authority of Jesus in this passage. He has the power to supersede the Old Testament. It's massive. Um, that passage is Acts 10. It's pictured here. Acts 10 uh, and the punchline from that, verses 14 and 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. Quote, what God has made clean do not call common. So Jesus is cutting through uh, the externals of their religion and saying those things aren't important because they don't even get to the heart. I mean, whether or not you eat pork is not going to change your heart at all. Uh, it, it just doesn't get there. It doesn't get to the problem. The, the root of the problem is sin. The root of sin is the heart. And Jesus declares this boldly. A great verse is Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus is here declaring that the problem with every human being is that we are sinful from the center of our beings. That's the bad news. From the very center of our beings, it's not going to take a minor repair. It's, it's not easy to fix this. And in fact, the reality is you can't get there from here. My, my family has this long, old-standing, humorous thing. We used to visit Reedley a lot. Reedley is not far from Fresno, California. And there was, back in the day, a, a road going out of Reedley, and you'd get like a couple of miles out, and there would be a sign that said, this is not the road to Fresno. <laughs> you know, we just thought that was hilarious. You have to put a sign out where the road's not going to, right? But that stuck in my mind for hearing it over and over. This is not the road to Fresno. 
You cannot get to salvation starting with the de degree of depravity in our hearts without supernatural intervention. You need a Savior that's beyond our capacity to even understand His nature. He's God and man. Great is this mystery, you see. This is why we'd have the nerve to go to India and say to very sincere Hindus, you know, we like your culture and your food's delicious, by the way. Uh, but the reality is, just like us, you have a, a sinful heart. And praying to a, a billion different gods is not getting to the heart of the matter. You have to be cleansed by the power of the blood of Christ. You have to be saved by God's special work. I found uh, this passage. I, I mentioned the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.9. The beginning of that passage runs like this. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart. See, that's how deep sin is. That's our, you know, you might say, where does, where does this evil come from? Why do I keep doing this stuff? We might want to say, oh, it's the devil who made me do it. Well, Jesus isn't talking about the devil here. I believe in the devil, and he does tempt us, yes. But he's saying we have a, a portable filth generator. And, and you know what? It doesn't even need electricity to run. It's, it's there all the time in your bed at night, in the morning when you wake up, uh, while the pastor's preaching, while, while the rest of the congregation's singing. You know, we have portable filth generators right here. And that's what we need to, by God's grace, come to grips with and overcome. So let's look at this real quick. This is the chart of... Uh, what Jesus said, I, you know, I'm not, you know, each one of these deserves a sermon, uh, but in three minutes we can't do that. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. And again, that's uh, evil dialogues. Is that, uh, just think about that. In your heart, there's an evil dialogue going on. You're thinking about it all the time. So, well, maybe, maybe this, or maybe that, I don't know. What do you think? Wow, think of that. Wow, that's going on. And what, what, what are some of those things? Uh, porneia, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Uh, and, and I don't think he means this to be an exhaustive list, but it's, you know, it's there. It's pretty powerful. Okay, so where do we go with this? Sin kills, right? That's what we have to realize. Sin is killing us. The wages of sin is death. We need to be forgiven. We need to be washed. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. The, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's power in the blood. You can be forgiven. Your sin is real and powerful and that portable filth generator is always there. But Jesus can free you from it. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus Christ. He is the solution. Uh, Jesus declares to these good people, 
these good Jewish folks. Repent. You've got to turn from the idea that you're inherently good and that the problem is minor. Turn from that idea. You, and you turn from that we are, therefore, really, we do not need to be saved. You know, turn from that idea. Uh, Jesus said this, this, uh, this is Mark, Mark 1, 14, kind of a theme introducing. Now, after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn from that wrong thinking about who you are and the, the, the degree of your need and admit it's overwhelming. Receive the word of God and say, my need is overwhelming. I need Jesus to save me. Believe the gospel. That is God's command to repent. Uh, I love this too. This is uh, Acts 4.10. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. You, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. Again, that's why we go to the United States, we go to Monterey, we go to the Whole Foods, we go to uh, India, etc. There's no salvation in anyone else. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the gospel. He's the only solution. And here's another good example from 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator. One mediator. Not a million. He's infinitely powerful. He doesn't need help from anyone else. It's a beautiful, freeing reality. Trust Him. He's the sufficient Savior. Fully sufficient. There is, no, there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. And he calls us to repent, which means turn from our self-sufficiency, turn to him completely, and we will be saved. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we overcome this, this filth generator? We start replacing the crap with good stuff, with the word of God, the truth, of live and meditate and uh, Think, you know, battle those thoughts with the Word of God. I've had this experience myself where I was thinking about some evil thought and got called in literally to a Bible study. We're studying carefully the Word of God and I could just feel the recession of the evil thoughts being replaced by the good thoughts of the Word of God. And it was like, oh yes, this is, the, this is what this is about. Uh, this is one of my favorites, too, on how to deal with this filth generator. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. That there's a training process, a discipleship process, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That should be our prayer, that we trust the Lord to pull these things out of our lives. Uh, one other point. I have 90 seconds. Uh, one other point. 
okay, this is great, Pastor. You're saying that, that we're hopelessly sick, right? That was great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're sinful and horrible. And the way of salvation is through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. And our sins can be forgiven, and then we can, we can grow in discipleship and learn to renounce and to replace and to live for him on a gradual, gradually increasing victorious way. What do we do with all of those folks who don't believe in Jesus, even in our own society? Well, uh, this is real quick, but God has actually designed literally human government to deal with that. Uh, and this has huge implications for government. Uh, we don't define the problem as, well, it's, it's, you know, if we just change the environment, we should have a good environment. If we just change the education, no. The, those things aren't really getting at the issue. Here is what Romans 13 says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword. He is um, civil government. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So what I'm saying is we need a strong government, uh, you know, not a, not a dictatorship with no heart. We want to have police with, who are strong but thoughtful and careful as well. I'm not for gunning people down in the streets by any means. That's a horrible abuse of God's power for sure. But we do need a strong government to deal. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with sinful people. We are sinful. We are rebellious. And strength will overcome that. So there's a few thoughts on this passage of Scripture. Let us pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the gospel, which in the light of this bad news is so wonderful. Uh, Lord, draw us to yourself. Help us to worship you because of your kindness and grace. And Lord, we do pray that any, any individual here in this room who has never come to that place where they they realize they are sinners.